You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. 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 To the Freedom Pact. Welcome back, my Freedom Pact family. Today on the show, we are joined by Jason Freed. Jason is the CEO and co-founder of Basecamp. Jason hosts the very popular Rework podcast, has written and co-authored numerous best-selling books, including Rework, Getting Real, and It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. In today's day and age, there is a common belief that to be successful, we must burn ourselves into the ground. Hustle and the grind are celebrated, and whilst they may be important in some aspects, Jason argues that there may be another way to achieve success and fulfillment. In today's episode, we discuss how a multi-billion dollar company like Basecamp Functions, lessons Jason learned from his parents and how he will teach his kids the value of time, parenting lessons, productivity tools, lessons Jason has learned from working with Jeff Bezos, winning at business and much, much more. I must warn you before you listen to this episode, Jason's philosophy is infectious. I hope you enjoy this episode with the hugely respected Jason Freed. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. Yeah, thanks for being here, or thanks for having me here, I should say. <laughs> Man, absolute pleasure. So I want to start off before we delve into Basecamp and Hey and your amazing book, Rework. I would love to start off close to the heart and find out sort of what sort of lessons did you learn from your parents as a young guy? Hmm. Hmm. That's a great question. Um, probably, um, as often as possible, just do the right thing. It's not to say that you always will, or that the right thing is always the, the easy thing or, or like the thing that, that works in the moment, but, but recognize, I should actually say, recognize what the right thing is to do, uh, and, and try to do that as often as you can. That was something that's, that's always stuck with me. The other thing is, is, is um, support the people who you love. Like my parents, um, I, I ran, um, I was an athlete when I was younger and I ran track, but I also played basketball and I'm short, I'm five foot seven. So I didn't get a lot of playing time, but my parents came to every single game, even though I sat on the bench and they were always there for me. And I think that that was another thing that they didn't like expressly tell me, but I felt how important that was. Um, and so now that I have kids, like just trying to be around for them, no matter what, is really something that's uh, very important to me as well. I love that example. And that's something which I, I don't think we'll ever forget that. So what did your parents, did they, did they want you to follow a career path? Did they have an idea of what they wanted you to do? No, uh, they've just always been supportive. You know, whatever I kind of wanted to do it would be fine with them. Um, my, my dad, I would say my dad, though, my dad is kind of is sort of an entrepreneur most of his life, although he also worked for somebody for a while. And he would always tell me like, if you can avoid it, don't work for somebody else. So 
he said that, but he didn't say like, he didn't tell me what field to go into or anything like that. My mom was the same way. My mom didn't tell me anything about like where to go or what to do, only just do what you want to do and, and, and just, you know, focus on that kind of thing. So I had a lot of flexibility and freedom as a child. I'm an only child. So I think my parents were especially just sort of like very supportive in that way. Um, and um, I, I don't remember ever having any pushback from them about anything that I ever wanted to do. I, I just, uh, they were very supportive. That's amazing. And I wonder, could you sort of remember the moment in which you decided that, you know, are actually a, a, a nine to five, the rat race, the treadmill is not for me. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Uh, I don't know if I always wanted to be, and to be honest, I don't know if I still want to be <laughs> like, I was actually thinking just yesterday, like I would never start another business. So I've got my business, which, which is great. And I love it. And if it went out of business or whatever happened, like I wouldn't start another one. I would be done starting businesses. I, I don't really like the process of starting a business. I like building something and running something, but actually starting a business is not that appealing to me. That said, I do like working for myself and making whatever, you know, I want to make. Um, back when I was growing up, I, I got a job when I was 14 um, in a grocery store. Then I sold shoes for a while and I worked in some car washes. I, I worked. And then in college, I worked for someone for a while. Like I've, I've worked for people. I think it was after, um, my first job out, out of college, uh, I went and worked for uh, a guy in San Diego, California, um, doing website design. And about three months in, I realized that my motivation went to zero when I had to do something I didn't believe in. It's not that I had to do something I didn't agree with, because we all have to do things we don't agree with. Work is not like just to do whatever you want, whenever you want. But when I didn't believe in something that I was told to do, I had a real hard time motivating myself. And I think that was the moment when I realized, like, if I continue down this path, I'm probably going to run into that scenario a lot if I'm working for somebody else. So this just isn't for me. So I, I quit. I, I uh, And then like a few months later, I started my own thing again um, and just have, haven't looked back since. Amazing. And yeah. I want to delve into rework and base camp and hey, but before we do, since we're sort of on this topic of sort of reflecting, um, you know, on sort of your journey, your parents, the sort of lessons you've learned, I would love to know, as you mentioned, you're, you're a father of four, I believe, two four, or two, two, two kids. Yeah. So I'd love to know, are there sort of any values, any principles that you would sort of look to instill in them? Well, they're, they're young, they're six and two. So I don't, I don't know if they even listen to me. Right. <laughs> um, but um, I think the same thing, my parents, you know, like, I just want to be supportive. Uh, I, I'd like them to try things and to explore things. Um, I, I think um, the, probably the worst thing to do when you're young is to be stuck in a rut and think you're only good at one or two things or, or not good at anything. I, I think it's really good to just explore. So I think being supportive of that is going to be very important. Um, and then, um, you know, of course, like just fundamental respect for other human beings and, 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 and just to be nice and kind to people. I think those basic things are kind of the things that I think are, are really important. Um, the other thing I've learned though, being a parent, which you can kind of bring this to work too, is, is that like, it's really hard to get someone to do something they don't want to do. Um, it's really hard to get kids to do something they don't want to do. It's really hard to get adults to do something they don't want to do. People will reluctantly do things, but when someone reluctantly does something, it's not really ever done very well. And so I've tried to, I'll, I'll remember that as, as I encourage ki my kids to do something, if they don't want to do it, I, I shouldn't push them on it. They're not going to want to do it. If they don't want to do it. 
they don't want to do it. And that's, that's fine with me. Amazing, man. Amazing. So when I was reading through rework, big fan of yours, big fan of base camp. Um, so I sort of get the impression that base camp is the sort of enemy of this hustle porn culture, which I sort of uh, see that we're in this, you know, this, this treadmill, this rat race, this sort of a crazy schedule all the time. So I wonder, could you describe for our audience that may not be aware, the sort of fundamentals, inner workings, processes of inside this fascinating company, which, you know, you're you're the CEO of. Yeah. um, at At the root of it is this idea that 40 hours is enough time per week to do great work. And that there's never enough time to do everything you want to do anyway. Even if you work 80 hours a week, there's not enough time to do everything you want to do anyway. So let's limit it to 40. That's an eight hour day. It's plenty of time to do great work. Um, And because of that, a lot of the things that we do at work uh, are are, um, constrained by that, which is good, which is that we don't have a lot of time for meetings because if you're stuck in meetings all day, you don't have any time to do any work. Um, We give people a lot of autonomy and agency to figure out how they want to solve the problems that we all need to solve together their own way. Our teams are very small. We have three people per team, essentially, on a product team. Let's say we're working on a new feature for, for a product. Three people, that's max. Usually it's two. Small teams, small company, eight-hour days, 40-hour weeks, hardly any meetings, open calendars, meaning that we don't, we don't share calendars internally. Um, I can't see what anyone else is doing, and they can't see what I'm doing. So I can't take their time, and they can't take mine. So... Um, what I mean by open is that our calendars are literally like just empty. We don't have our calendars full of stuff, right? They're just, we don't have calendars. Um, and all that is designed to protect people's time and attention because that's the thing that everybody wants a piece of. Um, and if you let everyone take your time and attention away, then you've got nothing left for yourself. And that's where a lot of people are left often is they have no time for themselves at work, which is why they have to work late night or on the weekends or really early in the morning or an, you know, work encroaches on, on life because there's no time to get work done at work anymore. So we're very careful about that. Um, the other thing I would say is that um, we, we try to, um, to you know, work in what we call six week cycles. So nothing we do should take longer than six weeks at max to do. Now we can string a series of six week things together, but um, one of the things that destroys morale inside companies is never ending projects. They just go on and on and on and on. And it's really demoralizing. So we make sure that nothing, no piece of work individually can take more than six weeks. And that really helps us see the end from the beginning. Also gives us enough time to get it done, but also enough constraints to say like, it's almost over before it starts. And anytime you're working on something that you don't really love, because like I said earlier, you don't love everything you do. Um, it's almost over. And it's not going to go on forever. It's really, again, demoralizing to work on something you don't like for a long period of time. So we're careful about those kinds of things. And um, I don't know. I mean, there's a bunch of other little things, but I think that's a good maybe baseline for sort of the, some of the rules that we that we live under. Yeah. And, and I want to delve into the sort of time aspect because there's an Avos uh, Tversky quote, which I come across uh, quite recently. And he said that we waste years by not being able to waste hours which is a quote that I love. So I wonder why is um, time so valuable? And, you know, why should we sort of avoid, uh, why should we protect it from having it filled for every moment? Why has that been a principle you've adopted? 
Well, there's only 24 hours in a day and life is more than work. So it's like those two reasons, you know, what, what, if, if your work expands to fill all the time you have, then you don't get to do other things in life. And life is, is there's so many more things to do than, than just work all the time. So that's why it's really important, I think, to limit the time at work, eight hour days for us, and, and protect people's time and attention so eight hours is enough. What a lot of people don't get is when I tell them we only work eight hour days and 40 hour weeks. In our industry, first of all, people are working 70, 80, 90 crazy hours. And they go, how can you get anything done in eight hours or in 40 hours? It's like, because that's all, because that time is dedicated to actual work. It's not dedicated to six hours of meetings and then only two hours of work. It's like everyone has a full day to themselves at base camp. And if you can give people that and you have to protect it because naturally it's going to erode. Everyone's going to want to take each other's time and organizations tend to do that to one another. Um, if you don't protect it, it's gone. And if it's gone, you got to, carve out time elsewhere. And that usually comes from life. And I don't think that's, that's fair. So in my opinion, it's like basically every day should be eight, 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 eight hours of sleep, eight hours of work, eight hours of life. Like that's to me, a really good balance. People talk about work life, but that's a good balance. You got to sleep. You got to sleep well, got to live well, and you got to work well. And eight, eight hours is enough for each of those things to happen. I think. So that's sort of um, my feeling if, if it's in balance, if it's 12, you know, 12 hours of work and five hours of sleep. And, you know, I don't know what you've got left there. Not, not many for, for, for life, right? That might work a few days here and there, but it's not a sustainable path over time. And I think people look back on their lives at some point and go, I worked too much and I didn't do this. And I didn't experience that. And people don't feel good about that in the end. Yeah. And I, that was, I completely agree with that. And you sort yeah. of mentioned that in your industry, you know, people are working these sort of 70, 80, 90 hour weeks. At the start of rework, um, you I think it may be in the first couple of pages, you you make you make the point that, you know, sort of critics of Basecamp have said that it's sort of been a, a fluke and that it's sort of difficult to replicate the sort of amazing culture which you've created. So I wonder, what do you say to those people which say, oh, well, maybe that would be difficult to, to replicate at my company? How do you sort of respond to that? Well, I don't think any company should copy any other company. So replicate? Yeah, perhaps not. But maybe there's certain things that you'll even do better than we do, you know, or, or point is, is that... Um, we have some principles that we try to stick to as best we can. And we're not perfect. You know, we, we have, we have to, sometimes we don't live up to our own ideals. Um, but absolutely people should have and could have and can have more time to themselves at work. And absolutely. I think reducing distractions is going to benefit pretty much every single company. Like these are, these are good things for people. And if you were to ask your employees what they want, they'd probably say these things. So it takes effort to do this stuff. Um, it's not a fluke. It's a, these are, these are deliberate decisions that we've made and any company that makes similar decisions can end up with the same kind of situation. It's that if you don't make those decisions, you're not going to end up with, with what we've done. Just like if we make different decisions, we're not going to end up with, with what you've done, but these are a company is just a collection of decisions and any company can make any number of decisions they want. So it's all possible. If, that's what you desire. If that's what you want, if that's how you want your business set up, if that's how you want to work, if you don't want to work that way, then yeah. And I think a lot of people will often call things flukes that they don't necessarily understand, or they can't imagine how somebody could work this way. Well, 
it's all possible. And by the way, we're not alone in this. A lot of companies around the world work eight hour days and 40 hour weeks. It's just that like in our industry, it seems like it's impossible to do, but it's totally possible and it's totally normal. And it's, it's, it's actually very healthy and very worthwhile. So um, and the, the other thing I'll say, by the way, is I, I, I just don't spend a lot of time worrying about what other people think is possible or isn't possible. Like I, I'm, it's hard enough just to make your own world possible for me to worry about someone like complaining that they can't do what we're doing. You can, but I, I, I'm not going to spend my energy trying to convince you of that. I've got to spend my own energy on convincing myself that it's still possible, that sort of thing. That was amazing. And I would love to talk more about your sort of uh, the marketplace that you're in, because the way I see it is that I can't think of many companies sort of Facebook aside, perhaps that are on the right side of the market that were founded, you know, some 21 years ago or 20 years ago. Uh, The project management space, I mean, it's a very, very competitive place. So how do you sort of reflect on how Basecamp has managed to stay at the top for so long? Well, I don't know if we're at the top. I don't know if we've ever been at the top. Where, where, where we need to be, mm. um, I think is an important thing to think about. We don't think about winning. We don't think about beating the competition. We don't think about dominating the market. So, so the top, the middle, the bottom, we don't see ourselves as having a place. We just exist and we have enough customers to keep us in business and we have uh, you know, a wonderful degree of profitability to share a lot of things with our employees. And that's all that we need to stay in business. So there are many competitors in our industry that are bigger than us, have more customers than us, generate more revenue than us. Good for them. That's wonderful. I, I don't, that's wonderful. <laughs> I, I want to see more people succeed. I'm not out to like hope that people don't, you know, like I don't understand that mentality, but it's common. So um, I think, the, the fundamental thing there that I want to get across is that we don't have those kinds of expectations, which allows you, I think, to, to, um, to run your business without as much worry, perhaps. Some companies are worried that they're in first. Now they're only, now they're in second. And now there's a newcomer who's going to take, it's like, I don't need that kind of stress in my life. <laughs> like it's already hard enough just to do a good job. So our fundamental approach is do the best work we can regardless. Um, treat our customers as well as we possibly can, treat our employees as well as we possibly can, build a product that we believe in, that our customers like, and let the chips fall where they may. Like that's just the best you can do. And hopefully we can do this for, we've been doing it for 20 years. Hopefully we can do it for another 20. Maybe we can't. Maybe seven years from now we go out of business because our way of working doesn't make sense anymore and our product isn't any good anymore. Like that can all happen. It can all happen. But I don't want to live in fear of that happening. If that was to happen, if we went out of business in seven years, David and I, David's my business partner. We've often talked about this, which is like, what would be the worst thing that could happen? Well, we'd look back and go 27 years, pretty good run. That's pretty good. We're okay with that. And all of our employees would be able to get really good jobs somewhere else. I'm sure of it. Um, so like, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, I think that's the mentality you have to go into things with versus being afraid or running and sprinting constantly and trying to stay ahead of everybody else. You just have to do, do something great. And there's plenty of room for a lot of people to do something great. So that's, that's our, that's our take on it. I know it's, it's not very scientific, but it's just kind of how we feel about it. What constitutes a good outcome at base camp? That's a really good question. Um, 
Number one, we have to have enjoyed doing the thing that we did. So if, for example, we built something that we hated, hated the process, didn't like the end product, but it was wildly commercially successful, I don't think that would be a great outcome, actually. Um, we have to enjoy what we're doing. And um, I don't know when this interview is going to run, but right now we put up this fun little art project called Dumpster Fire. I don't know if you saw this. If you go to dumpsterfire.email, so dumpsterfire.email website, we built this thing where you can actually email a dumpster fire because this year has been sort of a dumpster fire as people call it. And you could send an email to this dumpster fire and we'll actually print it out and burn it for you. And it was this really silly, ridiculous, fun little project we did. And is it successful? I have no idea what that means. Did we enjoy it? Hell yeah. Um, it was super fun to build. It was super challenging. It was really creative. It was, it, it, it flexed our muscles in new ways and that was totally worth it. Um, hey, our new email app, hey.com. Um, it also has become a commercial success for us, but we really thoroughly enjoyed building this thing. It was really new for us. It was really fun. It was, you know, email hasn't been reconsidered or rethought or reinvented. I don't, I don't like that term so much, but for 16 years, like Gmail came out 16 years ago. That was the last time email was kind of interesting. And we wanted to bring something brand new to, to the market. A lot of billions of people use email. Let's make it better. Um, and so we had tons of fun doing that. And even if it wasn't a commercial success, we would have looked at that and go, that was worth it regardless, because we enjoyed the process. That's important. I know a lot of people who work at companies who hate the process, who aren't even happy with the end product, but the, it's pushed by a sales team and it turns out to be successful and commercially but they're not happy with anything about it. And that to me is just never, it's never worth it. It's just not worth it. So that's it. The other thing I think is that um, we have to, in the end, use what we make. If we don't use what we build, we're not, that's not a good outcome either. Um, so if we're going to spend our time building a tool, we have to be also customers of that tool. That's a really important thing for us as well. And uh, just more before we jump into, hey, just on you personally, uh, last year you tweeted one of my favorite interview questions. What's something you know that you need to get better at? It's revealing you put. So I would love to know what is one thing that Jason Fried needs to get better at? Oh my God, there's so many of those things. Um, <laughs> I, you know, even though was, uh, this is not a work thing, this is more of a life thing. Um, uh, patience and, and tolerance for um, like, it's mostly around fatherhood. Like it's hard for me sometimes to, to watch my kids do something that, that uh, like they're going to hurt themselves or they're going to uh, maybe do the wrong thing and like, just let them do those things. It's so hard for me sometimes to just let them do those things without comment. Um, so that's something I need to get better at is just letting them explore the world themselves and find these, these moments of, of, of learning for them. But also, I guess in work too, um, one of the things I've had to work really hard at and I'm still working at is just is being more and more hands-off. I used to be really hands-on. I would do a lot of the design work. I do a lot of the HTML and the CSS and all that stuff. And I've, I've really stepped far back from that now. And in fact, my, my skills have atrophied to the point where I'm a little bit of nervous about getting back into it when I have to. <laughs> I can make my way around if I need to, but um, I'm slow now. Um, but this is good. And what's, what's been hard for me, though, is to reconcile the fact that I'm not as good at certain things anymore than I used to be. 
but I'm better at other things. What I, what's, what's, what I have to get better at is just coming to terms with that reality. Because sometimes I feel guilty or like embarrassed that I can't do that thing anymore that I used to like be amazing at. And it's just, your skills develop over time. And, and I focus more of my energy right now on, on helping other people uh, grow and giving them more of the reins and more control over things and um, stepping back and just sort of letting people do, do their best work. And that was hard for me and it's still hard for me from time to time, but that's something I think I, I still need to get a little bit better at. Amazing, man. Yeah. And I'd love to touch on um, the tool you mentioned, Hey, um, I read some of the reviews for this online. Um, it seems like this is really sort of scratching a, a, a niche for people. I mean, my brother, who's a, a big fan, was telling me about this some some weeks ago. So I wonder, sort of, for the people that are not so you know familiar with A, how would you sort of best describe it and and the sort of purpose that is 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 using? Yeah. So Hey is a, a new email service. And is that service, this is an important distinction. It's not a client. A client might be something that sits on top of Gmail or something. Hey is an alternative to, to Gmail or to Outlook. Um, and we, it's an email service and we reapproached email and, and reconsidered it from a variety of different perspectives. You know, email used to be this thing that was really amazing. I remember getting emails from people I wanted to get emails from and being like, this is awesome. And then over the years, what ends up happening is your email address gets out there and you end up getting more emails from people you don't want or, or services you don't want, or your email address has been bought and sold and traded all over the place. And you've lost control of your email. And a lot of people now just don't like email. Like it's a hassle. It sucks. It's a chore. Every time I go to my inbox, it's full of crap. I don't want whatever. And um, we said, that's, that's a shame because email is amazing. It's one of the few, the web and email are kind of the last two open technologies like that are not owned by anyone that, that anybody in the world can use that everybody in the world like can take advantage of. And there's no gatekeepers and it's wonderful. Um, so, so we feel like it really deserves a, a new refreshed bit of work. So anyway, we started from this, this idea of control. So one of the problems with email is that anybody can email you, which is one of the great things about it, but it's also one of the worst things about it. If someone calls you on your phone these days and you don't recognize a number, you probably don't answer it. You screen your calls. So why can't you screen your emails? Well, hey, you can. So the first time anybody emails you, you get to decide if you ever want to hear from that person again via email. So you can say yes or no. If no, you'll never hear from them ever again. If yes, then you'll let them through. And so over time, just a few weeks in, hey begins to trim back the number of emails you're actually getting. So you're getting fewer and fewer emails, but a higher percentage of those emails are from people you actually want to hear from. And then I'll just give you quick little thing here. There's, there's basically three kinds of emails you get. You get emails from people that are important to you. Mm. Those go into what's called your inbox, not in, but im, I-M-B-O-X, meaning important box, basically. There's another set of emails you get, which are, are like newsletters and things that you might want to read or browse later on. Well, those shouldn't be piling up next to like really important emails from people you really care about. So those automatically go into a place called the feed. And in the feed, it's a separate place in Hay where you open the feed and every email, every newsletter is just already open for you. You just scroll through them. 
like you would a newsreader or like you would Facebook or you would Twitter. There, things are just open and you just scroll through them. It's a totally different way of reading emails versus having to open each one and open the next one and open the next one. They're just open for you and you scroll through. And the last section is called the paper trail. Paper trails for things like receipts and shipping confirmation, stuff that you almost never even need to read at all, but you want to have handy in case you need to reference it later. And those are never marked as new or unread. They just exist. So Hey helps you keep the stuff you really care about in front of you, only from people you actually want to hear about. Everything else goes into its own proper buckets that you've defined and you decide. And before you know it, like email is actually kind of a, a pleasure again. You get a dozen emails a day instead of a hundred that you see. And um, it's just a really calming place to be. And that's just a few little things about it, but it's an entirely different approach than, than Gmail or Outlook, especially big companies that are now deciding, they're deciding for you what you should see and what you shouldn't see. Hey puts you back in control of, of that sort of thing. So it's a very different approach. Interface is totally different than anything people have used before in email. And it's, it's, we're an independent company. And a lot of people are like, you know what? I got to get off big tech because they're just mining my, all my emails are taking all my information. It's all, I'm giving all this personal information to them. We don't give, we don't mine your data. We don't look at your data. You pay for hay, hundred percent private. We block anyone who's tracking you, all these things we do for you. And uh, it's, it's just a very different approach. So um, anyone can try it out, hey.com, H-E-Y.com and give it a shot. I'm going to link them below. And, and I mean, this is something which I've, you know, suffered with, especially as this show has grown significantly, my emails have become completely out of control to the point where it's overwhelming, you know, to, to wake up and it's just not an issue, which, you know, any, anyone wants. Um, yes. Going back to the sort of, um, the sort of philosophy of Basecamp. So you really sort of um, make a clear distinction like, look, work is important, but there are other important things in the world. You know, there are other sort of important things which we have to sort of balance. Um, I would love to know, uh, just specifically on the work aspects, what have you found about um, in that sort of eight-hour space which you gave? We don't want to work 12-hour days or, or we might, but if we wanted to fit more work into the time which we allocate. What have you found to be more effective in terms of actually getting things done? Yeah. Um, I think one of the most important things is to actually have, this sounds trite, but if you want to get more stuff done, you have to have fewer things to do. And what I mean by that is, you know, focus on one or two things in a given day. I think people give themselves too much work too many different little things to do in a given day. And I think it's really easy to get scattered very quickly and not have enough time to focus and go deep on, on actual, on anything. And then they chunk the, the other problem is they, the way they maybe schedule their day is they just have these little bits of time in between other things they need to do. And it's very hard to get into something and do it creatively and do it well. If you only have 15 minutes before the next call or 40 minutes before the next thing, long stretches of uninterrupted time is incredibly important. So, the way to think about it is this, there's many ways to slice an hour. You've got 60 minutes. You could have four 15 minute blocks. You could have two 30 minute blocks. You could have three 20 minute blocks. Those are not all, they're all an hour, but they're not equal qualities of time. 60 minutes uninterrupted is a much better hour than two halves of 30 minutes or three thirds of, of 20 minutes each or four 15 minute blocks. You gotta 
improve the quality of your hours. And that means uninterrupted time. So I think that, that and just having fewer things to do in a given day and just focus in on those things and, and really be satisfied with the work you're doing on individual things, one or two things a day, is kind of the way to, way to go versus having a long list of things and a chunked up day into a bunch of different pieces. I'm also not a big fan of um, like productivity systems that make you stop on this and stop on that and give 15 minutes and take a walk or whatever, like just uninterrupted time, long blocks of time, fewer things to do. And you can actually make a lot more progress over time that way than it's it actually, it'll feel slower in some ways, but there's some saying, I'm going to look it up really quick. You have to give me a second here. Um, yeah, sure. It's, there's a, there's a, I just want to get the quote, right? Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's a saying, which is, which is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Meaning, meaning that like only working one or two things a day feels like you're just, oh, I've got a million things to do. When am I going to get this stuff done? But actually over time, you'll get it all done and you'll get it done really well because you'll be working smoothly. You won't be hectic. Your mind won't be scattered and you're actually going to get in there and get it done well. So I think that's a really important thing. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. You know, I, Shane Parrish, which I know has interviewed you. He's been on our show. Great guy. Um, I know that he said to me when he came on the show and I asked him the question, I said, you know, sort of about productivity. And he said, the ultimate productivity hack is saying no. Yes, <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah, that's the best thing to get used to, of course, is like, yeah, no, no, no variety of different ways, even know your own ideas, know to all, th all things. But at some point, of course, there's some stuff left over. And so like the things you actually have to do, how do you really get those done? And that's what I think is really important is just to have long stretches of uninterrupted time to get that stuff done. And you can get a lot of things done. And by the way, for those who think eight hours isn't enough, I would encourage you to jump on an airplane and fly. Where, where, where are you based, by the way? Are in, you in Wales the in the UK. In Wales. Yeah. Okay, so, so flying, let's call it uh, Heathrow to, to O'Hare in Chicago. Eight-hour flight. Just sit there on that plane and don't do anything. It's long. That's a long <laughs> flight. Well, that's a work day. That's a work day. And you're going to look at your watch halfway in and think you're almost done. You're like, oh, my God, there's still four hours to go. Ugh. And you're going to look again in a few minutes and go, oh, there's still three hours to go. Like, Eight hours is a long period of time. It's a lot of time and you can get a lot of work done in that period of time. If you actually have that time to do the work, that's the important thing. That is a phenomenal metaphor. And yeah. um, I just want to go a couple more questions. We got about sure. 15 minutes left. I just want to yeah. just jump through some ones for you. Basecamp. I'm so interested in this company and I would love to know when you were hiring people, when you were sort of looking at talent, uh, how, how are you sort of approaching that? I, there was a section on the book, which I was really interested. I'd love if you could sort of walk through how you sort of gauge that. It depends on the role, of course. Um, so let's assume for a moment, let's agree that we, like the person we're looking, the people we're looking at have the skills to do the work. Okay. Now what? How do you decide? How do you decide from the, the 30 people that are left that have great skills? The, one of the things that's most important to us is to hire great writers. So you have to be a great writer to work at Basecamp. And that's primarily because most of our communication is written, long form writing. We don't chat much. We don't have meetings. We write things up in long form, which might mean multiple paragraphs that explain an idea to each other. And then we get back to each other via writing. So writing is really, really important. So we're always looking for great writers. Um, and you can tell because when, you, when we hire people, the first thing we look at is not their resume, but their cover letter. 
resumes or CVs. They're just, they're lies, basically. I mean, let's <laughs> like, they're, well, they're, they're, they're actually, they're, they're extreme embellishments of the truth. You know, they're probably not lies, but like, you know, you'll see like people who just make all sorts of claims and it's like, you know, I, I designed Nike.com. It's like, no, you didn't. You worked with a team of 60 people to do that. Like, I don't really know what part of it you had. You probably were part of it, but, or like, you know, I came on board and increased sales 320%. It's like, well, I'm sure a lot of things changed over that period of time that may have contributed to that. It's so it's hard. It's hard to really, you can't boil people down to bullet points and you can't really take their word for it either. Um, they're not lying really, but they're embellishing. But the cover letter is important because it's how someone describes to us why they want to work here, why they want this job and not just any job. A CV is primarily the same and you hand it out to hundred companies or whatever to get a job, right? A cover letter should not be the same. A cover letter should be written to a company or to a person. And you can tell when people are just blasting them out versus when they actually take the time to write it to you. And that is what the first sign for us if someone's a good writer or not. And then I'm skipping over a bunch of stuff, but at the end, when we're down to a few people, we try to give people real work to do and we pay them for their time. So typically, let's take a designer. We're in, the, we're in the process right now of hiring another designer. We're down to a handful of finalists. Soon we're gonna give them each a project to do for one week. Um, we're gonna pay them, it's $1,500 for the week. Um, to do this project for us. And the reason this is important is because we need to be able to see what someone can actually do on their own. And we need to hear from them so they can explain their work and their work process and their thought process. It's not just the outcomes I'm curious about, it's how they get there. Um, what were they thinking about? And it, we're not gonna hire the person who necessarily makes the most beautiful design. That's not what we're after. We're after who thought about this critically? Why did they go in this direction? How well can they explain their point of view and their perspective? That's the interesting thing to us at the end of the day. Be a great writer and be clear in your thinking about the work that you do. Of course, you have to have the skills as well. But that those are some of the really important things for us that we look at when we hire people. I love it, man. I love yeah. it. Um, this is going to sound like an incredible segue. Um <laughs> But I would love to know, I mean, because you're, I think, maybe the only person that's ever been on this show and I can't let you go without asking, what have you learned from Jeff Bezos? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so Jeff, so Jeff, um, Jeff is the only person who, who we've ever um, taken outside money from, um, just so everyone understands where that question's coming from. We're we're 100% funded by customer revenues. Jeff's Jeff's money, in fact, never went into the business. It went to to me and David. He bought a piece of our company from us. Um, so we're always been 100% funded by customer revenues. But Jeff Jeff's an owner in the business, and so you know we we talked to Jeff, and um, we haven't talked to him much recently. But um, I think the most important thing he ever told us was focus on the things in your business that don't change. A lot of companies are focused, of course, on change all the time. Everyone's trying to like, what's the latest thing? What should we be doing? What's the newest technology, whatever. Jeff's like, yeah, you, you know, you want to pay attention to that, but what are the things that are not going to change? Continue to invest in those things and they'll always pay off. And he gave us some examples. So let me get concrete. He said at Amazon, nobody's going to wake up in 10 years and wish that we had worse selection. So we're always going to invest in broadening our selection. 
of products. People aren't going to wake up 10 years from now and wish they could get products from Amazon slower. So we've invested heavily in shipping and prime and all these and, and distribution centers closer and closer to, to more people. People are not going to wake up in 10 years from now and go, I wish customer service at Amazon was worse. People are always going to want better customer service. So we've invested a lot in, in that. So those are his examples. And to us, they're very similar. People are not going to wake up 10 years from now and go, I wish Basecamp was slower. So we've invested really heavily on, on infrastructure and performance you know, for the apps themselves. People are not going to wake up, wake up 10 years from now and go, I wish Basecamp was harder to use. So we're always trying to simplify and clarify and never trying to make things too complicated. Still make them powerful, but the simplest, powerful, most powerful version of something. So it's a mindset about what are people always going to want? How do we continue to double down on that? Let's not get carried away by fads and by trends and what everyone else is excited about for the, for the moment. I mean, there's a million things over the past 10 years that everyone thought was gonna be the next big thing. Well, the next big thing is always the same old thing. Great service, great product, fair prices, integrity, treating people well, being honest. Those things pay off. And so those are the kinds of things that we continue to double down on. I love that. And it's one of the things which we've said from the start of the show, we said, let's play long-term games with yes. long-term people. You yes. Know? <laughs> so yes. one one of the questions, which I've just got two more questions for you, man, mm -hmm. before we sign off and get to tell these guys where they can connect with you and, and projects you're excited about and what you want to share with them yep. is if you could just distill perhaps one or two business lessons that you would sort of love to impart if your time had, had come and you were no longer with us, what would you want a share or pass down just for some quick lessons? Um, wow, that's a really deep question and a good one. Um, <laughs> you know, um, getting comfortable with enough, I think is really important. Um, meaning in business, typically, everyone seems to want more and more, more growth, more power, more money, more this, more that. And like some of that stuff is like, that's part of growing a business. But this, this fascination with like constantly squeezing every last drop out and getting as big, like, I think people are much better off just figuring out what enough is. What's enough and getting to that. And in my opinion, like enough is being profitable. As long as we make more money than we spend in a given year, I don't care if our sales, if our sales are up or our sales are down, or I, I don't care if we beat last year, it doesn't matter. It's like, can we stay in business? Do we have enough revenue? Do we have enough profit to take care of the things we need to do? Um, that's what matters to me. So um, I think that's really important. The second thing is, um, and maybe it's kind of related, is, um, don't obsess over goals and targets and stuff that, that are, recognize how artificial those things are perhaps. And that just do your best no matter what. And like, you shouldn't only do your best if you make up a fake number that you need to chase. You should do your best because you wanna do your best. Like that's what you want to do. You want, you want respect the work, you respect the people you're doing it with. It's like figure out what enough is and just do your best that's, that is enough. Um, in, in, again, in our world, especially in the business world, it's all these like words of war and domination and beating and, and conquering and taking and, and, and endless quests for growth. It's like growing 
is healthy, but like endless quests for massive growth, I don't think is. And so, I don't know, maybe I give you a few more things there, but, but I think enough and, and just do your best. And one way to think about this is this. Um, I'll make this quick here. And I've talked about this before in other interviews, so I don't know if you've heard it, but like the, the no goal thing came to me once when I was, um, I was running, I was doing a lot of jogging and I was trying to like get to a certain time. I don't know if it's like a six minute mile or something. And I'd go out for a jog and I'd, I'd record my time. And like, I'm like, I need to run six minute mile this time. And I ran like a 606 or something like that or 605 or whatever it was. And like, technically I felt, I actually felt bad I felt like I didn't get my goal, but that's the wrong way to think about it, which is, it, it's, that's not the right question. Like, did I get my, did I get six minutes? The right way to question, the right question is like, did I enjoy myself? Do I feel good right now? Did I, was it, was it, do I feel energized? Like, did I, did I try my best? Like, those are the things that really matter. It's not whether or not I hit six minutes on the, on the dot, like who cares? I'm not like in, running for the Olympics. Like I'm just running for fun. And you can make things not fun pretty quickly by putting arbitrary numbers on stuff and, and chasing things that are made up. So I, I've really stopped doing that and just figured like, did I get a good workout in today? Did I get some fresh air in my lungs? Did I get to clear my mind? Do I feel healthy? Yeah, okay. Then that was all right. Who cares what the number was? I love it, man. My last question for you today, yes. and I'm going to drop a bombshell on you with this one. <laughs> Uh-oh. What makes a life worth living? Oh my God, this is, this is the philosophy 101, right? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know is, is the answer. I think um, to me, it's more about, it's more about uh, what makes a day worth living than a life. A life is just one day after another. It's, 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 you know, so like day to me, like you just gotta, I think it's important to be challenged to some degree, not every single day, but most days challenged creatively challenged intellectually you want to you want to learn things you want to try new stuff you want to push yourself a little bit but you don't want to push yourself so hard that you're judging yourself if you didn't make it you don't want to I, I think you don't want to be too hard on yourself and I think that's maybe I don't know that's not quite the answer to the question but um, take take life seriously not too seriously don't don't set yourself up for situations where you're where you're not going to um, meet unreasonable expectations and, um, and just, you know, just try and do your best most days. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, I feel like that was a pretty weak answer, but I don't think it's, I don't think we need to be really especially poignant about things like this. Just like, just try your best and make sure that what you're doing is, is for the most part, enjoyable, treat people well. Um, look, look for the, look for the good things in life. There are lots of them. Um, and, uh, and don't obsess over, over things that, that don't make you happy basically. I love it, man. And by the way, yeah. that's not like, I'm not there myself. I'm still working <laughs> on it too, but I think that's ultimately what I want out of life. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. I love this. Your, your philosophy is infectious. Can you tell these guys uh, where you'd like them to check out your social media handles, anything you would like to tell these guys about the, please take it over. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'd love for you to check out, Hey, our new email thing. I think it could really help. Uh, it's H E Y.com. The only social I'm on is Twitter, just at Jason Freed, F-R-I-E-D. That's me. So hit me up there. Um, and then, of course, Basecamp.com. The other thing I would say is we have a podcast. If you like some of these ideas, we do a, a podcast frequently as well. That's at rework.fm. 
check that out and um you'll see us around i love it man jason thank you so much for your time this was a real pleasure likewise great questions by the way really nice thank you very much Well, guys, that wraps up another incredible episode with Jason Freed. I hope you enjoyed it. Guys, if you want to interact with us further, there are a number of ways that you could consider supporting the show. If you could consider leaving us a five-star iTunes review, that would make us extremely happy. We upload all of our interviews to YouTube. You can just search for Freed Impact, and if you want to see us in, you know, a more personable uh, sort of light we upload our, our uh, interviews on the in video format if you head over there please hit the subscribe button uh, and we also host a healthy wealthy and wise newsletter which goes out once per week on a monday everything will be linked below thank you so much for your time attention and just supporting the show and, and interacting with us it really really means a lot Guys, have a great one and I will see you on Monday.